listener production. Today is a day of justice. It's a day of justice for those brave men of the SAS who stood up and told the truth about who Ben Robert Smith is. A war criminal, a bully and a liar. That is Nick McKenzie, an investigative journalist who has won 14 Walkley Awards. He's speaking outside court right after the biggest defamation trial in Australian history ruled in his favour. The judge ruled that the stories he'd published in the nine newspapers in 2017 and 18 about Victoria Cross winning SAS soldier Ben Robert Smith were substantially true, that during his tours of Afghanistan, Ben Robert Smith had committed war crimes and bullied his fellow soldiers and then gone to extreme lengths to cover it up. Now, because of that judgment, Nick McKenzie can now speak a lot more freely about the six-year saga that's been the most challenging story and legal fight of his career. He is our guest in today's briefing. That interview in just a moment. First, here are the big headlines of the day. Hey everyone, Katrina Blau is here with you. It is Wednesday, the 28th of June. So a bombshell development has happened in one of Australia's most famous missing persons cases. The disappearance of three-year-old William Tyrrell, which happened nearly 10 years ago. So according to Nine News and the Daily Telegraph, police detectives believe there's enough evidence now to charge the foster mother for perverting the course of justice by interfering with his corpse. Yeah, so a brief of evidence has reportedly been handed to the Director of Public Prosecutions, but the New South Wales Police say they have no updates, so they haven't confirmed this, and the foster mother has always strenuously denied any involvement in his disappearance. Yeah, so the theory uh, that's being reported is that he died by uh, accident, but his body was then covered up. So I guess, Tom, we're going to be waiting to see if there's official confirmation of the police recommendation. That photo of him in his little Spider-Man costume has become, you know, one of the most famous photographs of a, a missing child uh, kind of in, in recent Australian history. So I think it'll be also curious to find out, you know, the timeline of events here. And, and why this has been leaked to the press before any official charges have been laid. And singer Lewis Capaldi has cancelled his entire upcoming tour in order to adjust to the impact of living with Tourette syndrome. So you might have seen the footage from Glastonbury over the weekend where the audience chimed in to finish some of his lyrics when he couldn't. Yeah, so I remember watching that over the weekend, Katrina, and everyone was sharing it as a beautiful moment of people sort of getting where he was at and helping him out. But I instantly thought, oh, this this is also a very sad moment because I could see that it would be very unlikely he could keep touring like this. It's a, it's a nice moment, you know, maybe once or twice, but if that's happening every time he gets up, that would just be so, so hard for him. And so overnight, we got the news that he's taking a break for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because yes, it is heartbreaking on the one hand because he's expressed his sorrow to all of his fans who had planned to come to a show. Um, he said that he feels that he needs to feel well to perform at the standard you all deserve. But he's also been really praised by disability advocates. They're like, well, you know what? This is what it is like to, to live with a disability. And he's showing the public face of that. So that means that for his Australian fans, he won't be doing his Australian tour or playing Splendour in the Grass. 
And there's news about the way Jeffrey Epstein died in prison. So a report from the US Justice Department says uh, mismanagement and misconduct led to his death. It found that Epstein was left alone in his jail cell with a surplus of bed linens on the night he killed himself, while nearly all the surveillance cameras in his unit didn't record. One worker had been on duty for 24 hours straight, despite Epstein's high profile and a suicide attempt two weeks earlier, and he wasn't checked as regularly as required. So the report says a combination of negligence, misconduct and outright job performance failures enabled his suicide. Um, they found no evidence of foul play. Yes, I guess what's so important about this report is while it is so scathing, it doesn't suggest any criminality. There have been all these conspiracy theories going around in um, particularly right-wing circles that Epstein was murdered because he needed to be silenced from incriminating other prominent figures who attended sex parties at his mansions with underage girls. You never know, Tom. Maybe this will put some of that chatter to rest, but I'm sure there's just going to be another conspiracy theory about this report. Well, that's the thing about hardcore conspiracy theories. They reject outside information and any data points that go against their theory and can often spin it in a way that deepens their theory. Um, so, yeah, it probably won't put all the conspiracy theorists to bed, but, but maybe some of them. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you in tomorrow's episode. Now for my interview with Nick McKenzie. All right, now to our interview with investigative journalist from the Nine Newspapers, Nick McKenzie. He's written a book all about the Ben Roberts Smith saga. It's called Crossing the Line. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Um, at the top of the podcast, we played that moment when you spoke outside the court. You called him a bully, a liar, and a war criminal. How were you feeling in that moment? Uh, it was, uh, um, it's hard to even go back to it because it was so emotional. A mixture of probably exhaustion, exhilaration, anxiety. I didn't have a plan words. I mean, in my head, I thought, what can I say? The press pack was massive. I mm. sort of, it didn't dawn on me on sort of how big the judgment was until I walked out there and there's this bank of cameras. But ultimately, I, knew I wanted to remember the, the soldiers, the SAS whistleblowers and SAS witnesses who stood up for what was right. I thought they were the real heroes of the court case and of the story. I wanted to remember the, the Afghan villagers who testified and also the victims. I think that their story gets lost in Ben Robert Smith's huge personality. So to remember them and to say at least this is some justice for them. So in your book, you're finally able to tell the whole story. Because of this defamation risk, there's many parts of this story you haven't been able to tell. And it's been really valuable to see it pieced together in this way because as we, the public, consume the snippets of this story with the first article, the second article, reports of defamation threats, then we learn about the Brereton Inquiry, which was running in parallel, and finally it all got almost tied together through this defamation trial we're now finally getting the full picture. And the early turning point we now know is this sociologist report into the culture of the SAS by a woman called Samantha Cromfitz. Tell us about how her report secretly came to you and how this blew open the whole story. Yeah, and the thing about the book 
It's the inside story, of, and it's such a wild story, and there's so many uh, rich and wonderful characters. And I think if you know, there's the courtroom battlefield, mm. there's the military battlefield, there's mm. the newsroom. Oh, there's, there's, it's such a, a twisting, wonderful tale, and it's in, and crazy tale in its own way. Now, Samantha Crompets is an extraordinary character. She was a sociologist, a real outsider in Canberra, yet had been hired by the military chiefs previously to look at things like domestic violence in the Defence Force, culture in the Defence Force. She was like a trusted outsider and they knew that if she found something bad or ugly, she was prepared to put it into paper and send it up the chain of command. But they never expected her to go digging like she did into special forces and and to find things about war crimes and then to document them in such a powerful way. I mean, in her report that was leaked to us, it compared what was going on with the Australian special forces to Abu Ghraib. So her bravery in actually writing a report that couldn't be ignored, swept under the rug, was part of the way this whole scandal began to grow and grow and grow. Because once she sent her report to the military chief, uh, the chief of the Defence Force, Angus Campbell, he couldn't ignore it. Mm. It was so explosive. People couldn't, they wanted to turn away. They wanted to say, this is not real. Mm. But it it was part of that mounting body of evidence that something terribly amiss has gone on here. And so it became a really foundational stone in our investigation. But her personal journey is told and never before told, told Mm. in the book. She was an incredibly brave woman doing what she did. And then the system destroyed her because she stood up and because she spoke out, they shut her down and she lost all her work. Mm. She relocated from Canberra. She's up in Nimbin now. Uh, She's living a new life. Uh, She's a a tremendous, uh, warm, intelligent, vivacious person and someone that I now call a friend actually, but the system destroyed her and all she did was tell the truth. Wow. And it sparked the Brereton report, which everyone respects. You know, it's a report by Justice Brereton that's found evidence of 23 unlawful killings of non-combatants. And those are now being investigated, potentially will become the subject of a court trials and criminal prosecution. But so kind of sad in a way to hear that that process has destroyed her. I mean, many lives have been sort of blown apart by this. A lot of Ben Robert Smith colleagues came under intense pressure as well. And so did you at times. I mean, especially with the overall defamation threat, which could have destroyed your career. You write about the various points in your career where you've had people come after you. The same week this defamation suit came out, Crown Casino copped one of the biggest fines in Australian history because of stories you did and you were threatened over that. There were full-page newspaper ads. You've even been advised to move house at times out of fear for you your and your family's security. What was the craziest and scariest part of this whole six-year saga for you? Oh, listen, I get a death threat every day now from wow. uh, people who still think Ben Robert Smith is someone who sh- should be above scrutiny. But opposed to that, I also get bunches of messages of support, including from veterans, which is really amazing. Like the, And the other day, I still was really moving a, a, a widow of, of an SAS soldier who, who died, came up and I was worried, I was going to be attacked, but she said, I'm so grateful for what you've done and she and we embraced. So that really keeps me strong. Ben Robert Smith, was, we got secret tape recordings. I was leaked secret tape recordings and I, I sort of explained them in the book because they get this great insight into who this man really is. And, and on one of the recordings, he says, I'm going to do everything in my power to f- destroy Mackenzie and Masters, my, my journalistic colleague. And so he, he wanted there's no doubt to use the, the resources of a billionaire, Kerry Stokes, uh, who had his back, and all the dirty tricks of the special forces trade to not mm. just destroy us, 
but also to come after anyone that challenged him. And that included the SAS whistleblowers or those he suspected to be whistleblowers. The book tells a story of this extraordinary plot that he embarked on to get cops to raid one of the mm. SAS soldiers he suspected was behind adverse press coverage. The cops did raid this guy's family mm. home. They rocked up with a search warrant. I mean, Robert Smith was doing all this stuff behind the scenes. The book also tells a story of the women in Ben Robert Smith's mm. life, his ex-girlfriend, his ex-wife. But these people stood up to him. And part of the story I'm trying to bring to the public's attention that it's this untold story is, you know, do not underestimate those women in your life because they, they, mm. did, they rose up and mm. both of the two key female characters got to court and he was absolutely glaring at them and they told the truth and their truth was accepted by the judge. It was very powerful to see that, that truth-telling actually restore power and show Robert Smith that those he tried to destroy, the soldiers, the women, the journalists, actually by sticking to the truth, the truth was what ultimately uh, overcame him. We were going to make history that day. We were going to be <laughs> history as either the worst journos in the country that had done the worst story. You know, we would have been absolutely smashed in the public. Do you think you would have been out of the game if you'd lost that court case? Yeah, I, I think so. I think really? it would have been unrecoverable. Yeah, I think it would have been un unrecoverable. Or the truth, imagine that if we'd lost, because I knew it was true. Right? Yep. What, we, what we wrote, he did. But not just for us, but for, for the SAS blokes who counted on us and, and for those witnesses, the, the females in Robert Smith's life who stood up in court with those SAS witnesses for the Afghan villages and for the Afghan victims. It, it would have just been a massive, massive blow. But in the end, we made history of a different sort because the truth did win and, and there was justice. Have you and Ben Robert Smith ever met face to face? Well, I sat next to him three metres away from him for dozens and dozens of days. The trial went for 101 days. Most of it was a, a closed court, so mm. only the I was a defendant. He was suing the, um, only the parties could be in there and the lawyers and the Commonwealth. And there was these weird people from national security agencies doing I don't know what, sitting in there as well and, and the judge. And so I've never spoken to him. I've tried many times to sit so down So you never him. spoke directly in that context even? Never spoken to him. And and, and I want to stress, well, so many times I've, mm. I've written to him, I've, I'm from LinkedIn to email, et cetera. Yeah. I want to speak to you. I want to him. Mm. If, if we've got this wrong, tell us, explain the facts. Mm. He never agreed to meet, never agreed to tell his story. But in court... I guess we developed a language of our own, which was body language. And mm. so we connected with our eyes, our raised eyebrows. It was a really interesting way of communicating. So when you stood outside the court and said, Ben Robert Smith is a war criminal, what exactly does that mean? Because there's a distinction between you having evidence that he committed what would be war crimes if they were prosecuted. Then there's the distinction between a judge in a defamation trial saying, on the balance of probabilities, he's a war criminal, then to a criminal conviction, which would be he's a war criminal beyond reasonable doubt. At what point is he officially a war criminal? So a really great question. And ultimately, we brought witnesses, SASI witnesses, who were on the ground. They fought alongside Ben Robert Smith and they witnessed him and they gave scintillating eyewitness testimony. I was sitting in court and you could hear, you know, there was absolute silence and everyone was riveted on these SASI witnesses. What would they say? And you know, one witness describes watching Ben Robert Smith kick a handcuffed Afghan farmer, father, off a cliff. And then the SAS witness says, I, I watched his head strike a rock. I was ordered by Robert Smith to drag him under a tree. And then afterwards he was summarily executed. 
Now, that evidence was accepted by the judge as true. It was corroborated, and there were other SS witnesses who mm. observed other executions. One SS witness described giving a silencer, a, a, a part of a firearm, and witnessing an execution Robert Smith was a part of. And the federal court judge, Anthony Basanko, has found to the civil standard, which, mm. as you say, is balance of probabilities. It's actually a bit more than that. It's called the Brigginshaw standard. And, and basically what that means is because it's such a serious, grave set of allegations, the judge has to be really certain to the civil standard that the evidence mm. is strong enough to support those allegations. So that's been found to be the case. So to a civil standard, Robert Smith is a war criminal. He's yet to face criminal charges. Mm. Uh, we don't know whether he will or won't. It's likely he will. We do know now, and one of the extraordinary things about the story, he brought this defamation case. It's now made it more likely he'll be criminally charged. Mm. And so if he is charged down the track, he'll be put before a, a jury of his peers and, and mm. they'll have to decide to the criminal standard, beyond reasonable doubt, whether he is guilty or not guilty. It's come out in the last few weeks that two of the investigations have been abandoned by the Australian Federal Police. So can you give us the overall picture? Where is the criminal investigation up to relating to the acts committed by Ben Robert Smith? Since 2018, the AFP have been investigating Ben Robert Smith for kicking Ali Jan, the Afghan father and farmer, off a cliff. They recently, in consultation with the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions, the CDPP said, listen, there's problems with the way you've gathered your evidence. Some of it might be infected. Uh, it's a pretty legal, technical I issue. And there's a risk if you charge him, which the AFP wanted to do uh, with the CDPP, uh, that he'll be you'll challenge the evidence gathering process. You'll end up in the High Court. It'll never go anywhere. So they said, right, let's start again. Let's start fresh. So they've relaunched the investigations into Ben Robert Smith and now the investigations are being led by the Office of Special Investigator. That's a separate agency working with the AFP. Yes, they've lost five years. It's actually pretty catastrophic. That's a lot of time right. and a lot of effort down the drain, but it's not over. It's just starting again. Wow. And so there'll be investigations into Ben Robert Smith for years. And it's not just the, he was found to have engaged or participated in four summary executions in our case. That's what the judge found. But there are many other allegations he's also facing. So, I mean, you could not find a man under more investigation right now in Australia than Ben Robert Smith. That was Nick McKenzie, 14-times Walkley Award-winning investigative journalist, telling the full story of his coverage of Ben Robert Smith. And very interesting to hear about where this story will still go from here as it unfolds um, into the next chapter. His book is called Crossing the Line. It is a really fascinating read and it's so valuable to piece such a complex story together uh, into a big singular narrative, which it does in this book. Very interesting. Listener.